0: This week's episode on Stealth and Invisibility is brought to you by Describe. Describe. Describe your world. Invisible dragon breathing fire. There is scarcely a sound to warn you before a plume of white-hot flame suddenly scorches the area, fanning back and forth with raw intensity. The sheer heat is enough to melt hard metals and to bubble stone. None caught within the stream of pure flame can possibly survive. Such intense flames are not the product of wizardry or alchemy. This is dragon fire in your midst. Somehow and your every nerve screams at you to flee. Please go to Describe.com slash RPGBot and use code RPGBot at checkout for 10% off your first subscription payment.
1: Today's episode on Stealth is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the world's largest provider of spoken word audio, including some of our favorite audiobooks like Empire of Imagination by Michael Whitwer. To sign up for a free trial and get a free audiobook, visit audibletrial.com slash RPGBot.
0: Welcome to the RPGBot.Podcast. I'm Randall James, your hastily hidden hors d'oeuvre, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. Uh, hors
2: d'oeuvre does start with an H, doesn't it? Technically. <laughs> and Ash Eli. Hi, guys. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> oh, Lord.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and b- because I choked on that,
0: Ash Eli. Hi, guys. <laughs> Tyler, what's happening? (laughs) Good energy. No, we're starting good. Let's do it.
2: (laughs) Well, today we are going to talk about stealth. We're going to talk about stealth, perception, and things related to it, including uh, invisibility and, you know special stuff like Blind Sense and Tremor Sense and things like that. These are mechanics that have existed in D&D and Pathfinder for a very, very long time. And in basically every edition of either game that I've played, they've always been kind of confusing and the rules are very spread out in strange ways. So today we're going to break things down. We're going to simplify everything, make it all make sense, and we're going to teach you how you can use stealth perception invisibility all these things more effectively at the table especially in combat where they frequently matter the most without them becoming a huge massive problem and also we're going to talk about some fun things like throwing flour in the middle of a fight i think
0: I, I think i enjoy like the hiding rules for 5e invisibility rules for 5e but it really does feel to me like somebody sat down and they designed the system for hiding in combat like you know popping out ha ha i got you stab and, and then somebody else came along and they were like, hey, uh, by the way, you know they can use magic to just be invisible, right? And now everybody's like, oh, and we had to start <laughs> stacking all of these things.
1: Yeah, speaking from experience, though, the thing about hiding and especially invisibility is it's one of those mechanics that people all at the table always fight over. It's like, but he couldn't really see me. And, you know, it's it, it's a question of, like, what can they hear? How can they hear it? that kind of thing and uh specifically like just sort of uh when it comes to meta knowledge especially when you're the dm and a player goes invisible how do you play around that without you know feeling like you're unfair like it's easier for the dm to hide where their position is from players but it's harder for the players to hide their position from the dm because the dm needs to know that information
2: absolutely and that kind of soft rules definition can be very frustrating in a lot of cases. Let's dig into it. Like, let's dig into where the the hard edges and the soft edges are, and let's see if we can make this a little simpler for everybody and make it feel a little more fair. First, quick glance at the 5th edition rules for hiding because they're in three places which is how you know that a rule is very well thought out uh they're in the using ability scores section the adventuring section and the combat section and all of them tell you to look at each other but don't list page numbers or what sections to look to the important stuff is all in a sidebar hidden in the using ability scores chapter that's simply called hiding so go read that it's real good (laughs) There's there's something meta
0: there. I can't quite put my finger on it, but
2: <laughs> absolutely. And okay, so we're gonna look at this sidebar real quick. To make things way worse before we make them better, the first the first sentence in this sidebar is the DM decides when circumstances are appropriate for hiding. Immediately fuzzy. Mm-hmm. That's the problem with hiding is that
1: it's kind of a gray area. If you're leaving the most of hiding, and I think like hiding more than uh, most mechanics is really up to DM Fiat. So if you think that you should be hidden, DM's like, well, that cover's not quite high enough. So no, you're not hidden. Like it's caused a lot of hurt feelings, at least at my table. I don't know about you guys.
2: (laughs) Uh, Fortunately, I don't think it, I think it's been a while since I've been in a party with a rogue who spent a lot of time hiding. So it really hasn't been a problem for me. But yeah, I could absolutely see it being a problem. So digging a little further into this, it continues to get worse. The (laughs) next bit of important text, you can't hide from a creature that can see you clearly. So first line is DM decides when it's okay, And then like the next line is like except when we tell you that it's just not okay. It kind of makes sense, though. You can't hide from a creature that's staring directly at you. This is a mistake I see people make all the time. Like, I have an insanely high stealth. I'm going to cast Pass Without Trace. My modifier is, like, plus 30. I'm standing right in front of this guy, and I'm just going to duck down and hide right in front of them and go invisible, apparently. Does not work like that. You still have to be behind stuff.
0: And, and, right, we've talked about this for other skills as well. Like, you can't persuade the king with a 30 to give you the kingdom. You know, a, a, a crit doesn't necessarily mean you get everything you want, and a high number doesn't necessarily mean you can achieve the impossible. And this is just one more case of it. It's like, sure, you're super quiet when you move and you're wearing all black, uh, but we're in a well-lit room, and you just sat down like crisscross applesauce and are expecting this guy not to be able to see you. It's not going to work. <laughs> yeah.
2: Exactly,
1: yeah. but I have then, a really high
2: stealth though. <laughs> yeah,
0: I bet you <laughs> do. You were you, you were very sneaky. They're very impressed.
2: Now, in in previous editions of the games, in Pathfinder first edition, in D anD D three X, you could actually hide in plain sight with a minus twenty modifier. Which in fifth edition, like a minus twenty modifier is like. I'm not even going to roll. There's there's no possible way. In 3x Pathfinder 1st Edition, a minus 20 modifier is a challenge. Someone says, okay, you can do this with a minus 20 modifier, and the immediate response is like, okay, let me count real quick and see if I can still overcome this, (laughs) because it's very possible. It's what happens when you don't have bounded accuracy. (laughs) Exactly. So we've covered you can't just hide in the middle of a room, so we know that's not allowed. We know that the DM adjudicates when circumstances are otherwise okay for hiding uh there's a bit of text that says if you come out of hiding and approach a creature it usually sees you so usually there is carrying a ton of weight because you know normal circumstances fifth edition there's no facing creatures see in all directions at the same time just pretend everyone's head is continually rotating So if you walk out of cover, creatures will usually see you unless you have, like, concealment, it's dark, you're invisible, the creature's blind, something like that. One of those other circumstances. But this is also very important uh, because if if you can create the circumstances to allow it, you can emerge from wherever you're hidden, walk up to somebody, and attack them, which is very, very helpful for people like rogues. But usually... They'll see you, but usually they will see you. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that's uh, that's I feel the biggest issue is you mentioned before how Five E doesn't have facing like Pathfinder does, which is good. Facing in Pathfinder is kind of a obtuse system, but I feel like for this it kind of you kind of need it because if we're just going to ignore facing, then. It doesn't really translate mechanics-wise as to whether you can tell if a creature sees you or not. If they're not facing you, logic should dictate that they can't necessarily see you.
2: Yeah, definitely. This is one of those places where you kind of have to suspend disbelief. Uh, You may need to go a little outside the rules a little bit and say like, Okay, DM, you've stated that they are looking that way. Can I just be behind them, please? Well, and I think we do get an out, right? Because it is stated... Uh, the DM
0: might allow you to stay hidden as you approach a creature that is distracted, allowing you to gain an advantage on an attack roll before you're seen. And I think that's, again, like that's the here. This is the usually. So if, let's say, you know, what could a DM do? If they're engaged with somebody else, you might say they're distracted, they're not going to come through. Uh, if they're, would you let, like, if a spellcaster was concentrating?
1: Maybe. I think it depends on the spell. Like, if they're just casting a pretty simple one-action spell, I don't think so. But if they're, like, focused on a ritual, like, let's say they're trying to make a magic circle, I feel like, yeah, that's a distraction, for sure. And I think that's why the uh, DM decides when circumstances are appropriate is doing a lot of the heavy lifting here. Because it really is kind of up to the DM. Like, usually in certain situations, the player can sort of dictate what they're doing, and the DM's like, okay. But with this, it's more of like, when is the DM going to say no, rather than when is the DM going to say yes? And, and I do think, like, one more thing I'll add to this, for the, for the DM and for the players at a table,
0: uh, you know, what's good for the goose, good for the gander sort of thing going on? Uh, if the enemies are able to hide in the environment that you're in, then surely the the players are also able to take advantage of the same structure to do their own bit of hiding. Uh, And so if you're a player on the other side, like you walk in and there's like six goblins running around, your first thought is hide, you may be opening a door that you're not going to enjoy.
2: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So the easiest way to handle situations like this is just for everyone to have an agreed upon set of rules before you go into the game like it it's the same reason we talk about anything during session zero it's the same reason we have combat rules so that people don't get to the table and immediately break down into arguing over like i hit this guy with my sword no you don't (laughs) anger so let's offer some guidelines for when you can and can't hide so the first and most obvious situation is when you have cover now how much cover In my opinion, anything that's enough to provide the cover AC bonus is enough to hide behind. So that might be like a waist-high wall, leaning around a doorway, uh, some large obstacle like a column, something like that. Not necessarily something that completely blocks line of sight, so it doesn't need to be like, I am behind a building. But any amount of cover, in my opinion, is enough to hide behind.
0: All right, I want to ask a clarifying question. Uh, I'm in a graveyard. Mm -hmm. All of the uh, gravestones have fallen over. And the enemy sees me run and then crouch behind the one remaining gravestone.
2: Am I hidden? That's a great question. So we're going to peek ahead to Pathfinder 2nd Edition just a little bit, because we're going to talk about that later in the episode. In Pathfinder 2nd Edition... There's a series of conditions for handling stealth. There's observed, which is everybody knows where you are. Hidden, which is everyone knows what square you're in, but not where you are in that square. I like that. Okay. Undetected, which is nobody knows where you are, and then invisible. If you are hidden, creatures know you are in that square, but don't know exactly where you are in that square. So it's difficult to target you with an attack. It's difficult to target you with a spell, so for 5th edition purposes, I would say anything that requires the caster to see you to target you, I would say you can't do that, and I would say attacks with disadvantage, but you still might know where they are, because yeah, obviously you can deduce the. it's the only thing here to hide behind.
0: Okay, so then if, if I am a rogue and I pop out and attempt to attack with it, well, I guess it doesn't matter at that point, if I pop out <laughs> and try to attack, do I get advantage? When I pop out behind the gravestone, I'm like, ha-ha, stab.
1: Uh, I knew you were going to ask that question before you got to it. The eternal question that causes so many arguments. Do I have, uh, uh, can I do sneak attack in these circumstances? And that's the real question. And I think, you guys can feel free to disagree with me, but I think in that circumstance, no. Like, especially, like, they know what square, if they know what square you're in, it's not necessarily a surprise attack. It's not a seek attack because they are watching that square. They just don't know where you are in that m- moment. But as soon as you pop up, they can see the attack. That's the way that I would rule it, but you guys can uh, feel free to disagree with me. Okay, so I'm going to make this worse then. It sounds like the rule <laughs> I really want to have. I-,
0: I agree with everything Tyler said previously. Basically, if I can take cover, if I get the AC advantage, um, or, the- yeah, the AC bonus, we would consider me hidden. Mm-hmm. One more thing. I need the ability in my obscured position to move between two positions. So it has to be a table that spans two squares. Yeah, I could be to the left, I could be to the right. I need a wall, I need two gravestones with like moss or something, growing. a very big gravestone. It was a, it was a small dragon.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, that, that actually seems like a good requirement. Basically, the ability to go from just... They don't know where I am in my square or two. I could be in multiple locations. Peeking ahead at Pathfinder again. Um, so there's the hidden and then undetected conditions. The easiest way to become hidden is just to take the hide action. So you just like, I duck down behind the gravestone. I'm now hidden. And then from there, once you're hidden, you can take the sneak action, which is the I'm going to move while hidden so that people lose track of where I am. So that goes, that takes you from hidden to undetected, which is the, not only do creatures not know what square I am, or or not only do they not know where I am in my square, but they also don't know which square I am in. So they have to completely guess if they're trying to hit me with stuff. We could very easily port that logic to 5th edition and say, you need the ability to move without exiting cover in order to benefit from hiding. Now, I don't know if that was the intent when they wrote the stealth rule.
0: No, that's fair, I, I really do like the Pathfinder two uh, way of handling this, though I feel like that distinction of hidden versus undetected is really great would help us resolve a lot of this, and so I do like I like what we're talking about now. I feel like it would really help
1: yeah, I agree uh, just glancing at the Pathfinder rules for hiding i 'm just like this is really good really it really has a distinction of like. The different, like, uh, hiding is a status effect, kind of, and it affects multiple creatures differently. So you can be hidden by one creature and undetected by another creature, which I really like, and I wish 5e was better about that, because (laughs) with 5e, you're either hidden or you're unhidden, and it's everybody. And it's a status effect that you have, not that the enemy has.
2: Yeah, (laughs) that... It's kind of a classic thing between fifth edition and Pathfinder, like Pathfinder's mechanics for the same thing will always be a lot more complex and a lot more precise, but you're trading complexity for accessibility. Correct. Yeah. Personal preference. In our graveyard single tombstone example, um, while I agree that it does require some suspension of disbelief, I think I would actually let our hypothetical character benefit from being hidden there the rules for stealth in fifth edition are already pretty inaccessible and like the only character who's really intended to use them in combat is the rogue and you know a couple monsters like goblins but if you make stealth exceptionally difficult to use in combat the only person it punishes is rogues that small decision alone can have a huge balance impact on your game so like ma- make that decision during your session zero discuss this stuff with your players if someone says hey I want to play a rogue And spend a lot of time like jumping in and out of somewhere where I'm hidden. um, You either need to say, okay, we're going to just be very permissive about this, or you, as the DM, need to be very certain that in any given combat encounter, there's going to be places for the rogue to hide and move between. Alternatively, you can just use the, the optional class feature, steady aim, and say, like, look, sorry rogue, there's nowhere here for you to hide, just hold still and point at things until they fall down.
1: I also think, because stealth is so nebulous in 5e, that's why they added a thing to rogues, where if you are with if you're... Engaged with someone who's already engaged, you can use your sneak attack, which you couldn't really do in Pathfinder. Like Pathfinder, sneak attack was something that you really had to set up for. But in 5e, it's a lot easier to get sneak attack. You don't have to always stealth anymore. And that was the trade off for making stealth more nebulous. So even in some games that I've run, stealth is really only the thing that happens before the fight, not really during the fight, which is kind of disappointing in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, PF1 and 3X definitely had that problem where stealth basically only happened outside of combat. And in combat, usually the go-to option for rogues is flanking because the target has to be flat-footed or you have to be flanking them. Yeah, And making something flat-footed Very easy in PF2, very hard in PF1. So generally just go straight to flanking. You get two daggers, put on a hat that gives you a horn attack and just make as many attacks as you can. Just throw D6s at people until they fall down. So let's look at the benefits of stealth in 5th edition. Like we've hit on how you get it, how complicated it is. We've offered some suggestions. We discussed using cover as an excuse to hide. So let's talk about why you would bother doing any of these things because it's very clearly like, kind of a pain um, the sidebar in hiding says the dm might allow you to stay hidden as you approach a creature that is distracted allowing you to gain advantage on an attack roll before you are seen ignore the part about approaching the creature if you're going to use a ranged weapon but just you gain advantage on an attack roll before you are seen that is the entire point of stealth Uh, I mean, sure, there's defensive benefits, like they can't see you, so they can't target you with stuff. But usually if you're going to bother with stealth, it's because you want that advantage.
0: And when you say stealth, you mean hiding, right? Yes.
2: Yeah. Fifth edition doesn't distinguish between moving silently or being hidden, at least not super explicitly, but we'll get into that in a minute. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. So as far as I can tell, this rule does apply at range. So you can, like I am a hidden, pop out. Shoot people with a bow, and I believe that is very much the intention, especially for rogues who are expected to use cunning action, like bonus action, hide, and then regular action, attack, and that's my turn, every turn, basically.
0: And then similarly, though, so if you start hidden, you're both unseen unheard. When you make an attack, you give away your location uh, when the attack hits or misses.
2: Yes, exactly. If you can make it happen, it's often a better idea to attack first and then hide so that you're hidden between turns. Because if you're hidden between turns, it's very hard to target you with anything like like explosions.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things is that is a trap that I think some DMs can also get into, and players, is that you pop up, shoot, and then go back down and hide. And if you keep doing that, like a lot of times people just kind of let that happen, that's just the thing that they do. But I feel like at a certain point, the monster's going to come cut-wise that you haven't moved and you're just over there. And so I feel like... And I don't know how strict you want to be on the rules with DM, because again, it, player's fun needs to come first. So if it doesn't matter to you, then just let them keep popping up and shooting, popping up and shooting. But if it matters to you, maybe you need to require them to at least change their position before they hide again.
2: Yeah, and that's a perfectly reasonable solution. If your players do refuse to change their solution, just have the monsters walk over there. Like in our, our Tombstone example... Our, our rogue is hiding behind a gravestone. Necromancer is over there. Necromancer is like, I know you're there. I can't see you, so I'm just going to walk around to the other side of this gravestone, so I can see you. Because now I've clearly at line of sight. You no longer have cover, so you no longer qualify to hide. Yeah, that that's a good middle ground, I think. Let's see. So on top of the. Advantage for attacking. Um, we we mentioned this a little bit previously, but since creatures don't know where you are, they have disadvantage on attack rolls against you. Just as if they were blinded, as if you had complete concealment, as if you were in a pitch dark room, all of those things, creature doesn't know specifically where you are in your square. Even if they know you're in a square, they still have disadvantage to attack you. Which is why I suggested earlier, like stay hidden through everybody else's turns. If you can, and, and so the way we're supposed to
0: play this, both players and DMs, is we're supposed to say, "I know there's something over there in ge- that general direction. I'm going to try to hit something in this square." Um, if I'm the player, the DM tells me to roll with disadvantage. Um, if the thing was actually in that square and my disadvantage would hit, uh, congratulations, you hit the thing you couldn't see. You know, you beat the odds. If it were not in that cell. The DM is supposed to look very discerning at the rolls, like hmm, hmm, ho hum. Oh no, that's not not quite enough. You don't hit, uh, just to keep the players on their toes, right? Because you can't just <laughs> like oh, you know, oh no, they're not there. You miss goes okay. Now we're playing Battleship. Yeah, you know, you, you're not there. <laughs> now, Ash, you brought up a really interesting point that we flipped this on its head. The DM has perfect knowledge, so what is the DM supposed to do?
1: Yeah, that would be my question, and it's something that I've struggled with a lot, especially when it comes to invisibility, which I know we're going to get to in a second. Um, invisibility is um, it's a complicated thing, but when the player is supposed to be hidden, how are you as a DM supposed to avoid meta-knowledge? and not use that against people and feel like you want to make it make it so that your your monsters or your enemies are competent but you also don't want it to feel like you're cheating and i guess one of the less elegant solutions you could do is like randomly determine if they figure it out. But I don't feel like that's a perfect solution, so I am curious as to what you guys think.
0: Okay, I mean, you called it inelegant. I was going to say it was the perfect solution. So, <laughs>
1: uh, I already dissed you, and I didn't yeah. need to. No, so
0: what I would do, I would look at the footprint for where the creature might be, use that to map to a dice roll. So if it's that, that gravestone, I'm going to flip a coin, and then I'll roll with this advantage. Oh. If it's that two-cell table, I'll roll
1: a d4. If it's a building, I'll roll a d10. That's actually not a bad idea. Like if you if you have a general sense of where per person is. And then you like extrapolate that depending on I guess if you really wanted to make this more engaged, you could have them make a perception roll, and based on their perception, like it's a larger area that they're that they're uh, observing or a smaller area, and then you apply each cell to like a dice roll and roll. It. I mean that's a bit complicated, but that is one way that you could be fair. I was just thinking of like rolling a percentage die and like uh, twenty five or lower they'll find them or something like that. But that that I like that better. That is good.
0: I feel like you can bring a little bit of realism into it, uh, yeah, this way, just having an idea of like a footprint. This gets complicated because maybe you can't see or maybe like if you don't have line of sight or you don't have access to the entire space. you know, if you legitimately have cover behind a wall i I can't
2: hit you, right? If you have full cover, I should say.
0: Um, now, when we get into half cover and this sort of thing, that's where I, I suppose this is interesting
2: now as an alternative to having creatures attack blindly into a square. Why not just have them look for you? Imagine you're a person. You're in a fight. Some dude that you're fighting just disappears. Like, where'd he go? Do you start shooting arrows into random spaces, or do you look around for him? Like, I I think most of us probably would look around for them, but... I also don't know how to fight in real life, so maybe I'm not a good example. No, I would totally be shooting
1: blind in the spaces and just listening for... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if I I had a a gun that shot very fast, I'd just just spray and pray. There you go. Yeah, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Differences in personality. (laughs) I do agree that uh, uh, most people would probably search. But uh, remember that in 5e, searching is an action. Sure is. So you are gimping your enemies, uh, like your monsters or stuff, to make them search. And that is one way you can do it. But if you don't want to sacrifice their attack, you can do, like, the chance thing. Yeah, I'm going to search with my bow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
0: Yeah. Or... or my tentacle monster, like whatever. Yeah. Whatever's happening here. Yeah. yeah
2: so you guys are absolutely right. Uh, perception is a, an action, which means for most characters, that's all you're going to do on your turn, yeah. which is another great reason why players should be using stealth. Because if you're hidden during enemies turns, if it's important to them to find you, then they have to waste their action to try to find you. Yeah. They still make a perception check against whatever stealth roll you used the last time you hid, Like we talked about this on the perception investigation episode way, way back when you still have that passive perception floor, but most likely if a creature is looking for a hidden creature, it's because their passive perception wasn't high enough. And that means that at best they have like a 50% chance of beating their passive perception to try to find you. Then just from a DM's perspective perspective, Part of the issue you might have, if it's
0: one creature versus the party, if they waste their action searching for that one person hiding, you're doomed, right? You're literally wasting around. And so this really only even makes sense if there's multiple monsters. And then it's strategically like, do I want to burn first up? So they could then use a free action to say like, he's over there, E5. You know, is that, is that really <laughs> what you want the creature to do on their turn? Uh, or if that's your, you know, if the initiative order is that it's your most strong creature up after the hide action. Do you do something else with it? And then you wait for maybe a weaker creature to step up. Like, there's a lot that you have to think about as a DM to make sure that you're not getting idle turns. Because especially on that failed perception check, I mean, you might as well be stunned for the round. What what'd you even do? You did nothing.
2: Exactly.
1: Yeah, and that's why, like, you got to be careful. Because, again, because you're using your action to search for the player, uh, that just tells you where they are in that moment. And if the player is able to move around, they have to do a new perception check every round. So <laughs> mm-hmm. you're basically just saying where is he? Where is he? Um, and uh, it, conceivably, if a rogue has enough cover, they could just solo your monster themselves. Although on the flip side of this, this is why fighting invisible stalkers for players
2: is an exercise in frustration.
1: <laughs> because, <laughs> yes, yeah.
2: Exactly. so while we're on the subject of perception and stealth checks real quick we should hit on that when a creature hides in combat they do still need to make a stealth check like it's not just i am now hidden i'm other people must search for me you must still make a stealth check and compare that to the passive perception of every other creature that you're fighting so the passive perceptions effectively become the DC for your stealth check. So if you're fighting very observant enemies, stealth might not work out for you. If your stealth checks are really, really bad, stealth is probably not going to work out for you.
0: Okay, I want to make sure that I understand this, though. I make my stealth roll. I have to beat every person on the or every creature on the opposing side in order to be hidden. Yes. So I, if theoretically I could be hidden from three, but the fourth you know theoretically spotted me maybe on passive perception maybe well i guess yeah on passive perception it has to be this time i i'm not hidden because that one person knows and theoretically is yelling out like over there
2: is that that part's a little less clear so your dm could reasonably say like creatures are only allowed to talk on their own turn in which case you are hidden until that creature's turn comes up and they call out where you're hiding until that happens, you're still playing Battleship.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it really does, I think, I agree with Tyler, it does depend on the DM. Like, I'm, for me, saying one sentence in combat is a free action. And I hold that for myself and my players, because sometimes people need to just say stuff. But um, a way you could rule it is that a per, if you fail to beat one person in a group's passive perception, that person knows where you are. So they can still use that information. They just won't be able to communicate it until it's their turn. Exactly. But logically, like, once it's their turn, they're going to act on it anyway. So it just kind
2: of is a moot point. Yeah. So so in a way, the initiative order also matters a great deal. But the best case scenario for you as the rogue hiding in combat is you want to have the best stealth you possibly can, and you want to fight things with poor passive perception.
0: And if you're going to grapple that dragon as a huge barbarian gnome you're going to need dice, lots of dice. Might I recommend some easy roller dice? They have fan favorites like their Hollow Dice of Divine Retribution, a hollow metal dice series with beautiful unique artwork that creates an amazing jingle when you roll them together. They have all of your tabletop needs, Go to rpgbot.net
1: slash easyroller and use code rpgbot at checkout to get 15% off your first order. This is, um, speaking of passive perception, this is one of the things, I'm sorry to duck back to Pathfinder 2, but I think this is another thing that Pathfinder 2 does better. Because uh, instead of roll one person rolling and comparing that to a bunch of people's passive perception, each individual creature just has to make a check against your stealth which I think works better and makes it feel more active and, like, you have a better chance, I guess, than... Um, uh, maybe that's just me. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. But I do think that Pathfinder's um, way of handling passive, passive perception
2: is better. Now, you're, you're talking about... Sorry, you're talking about PF1, correct? Uh, isn't that in PF2? Or no. Or is that...
1: Oh.
2: Yeah. My, mistake. my uh, mistake. So Pathfinder second edition is very, very good about like when a thing happens, only one person rolls generally. Gotcha. Yeah. My mistake. So every skill, saving throw, AC, all those things, if it's if it is a number you can add to a D twenty modifier or to a D twenty roll, you have a DC for that thing that's just ten plus whatever. So when you make a stealth check, it's against the perception dc of opposed creatures I see. when you make a perception check to seek it's against the stealth dc of any creature that's
1: yeah that's what i misunderstood gotcha thank you yeah. for clearing that up for me yeah
2: um that's one of those things that i think that um fourth edition actually did that super well the intent was like when thing happens only one roll happens so you don't have like okay rogue hides Rogue rolls a d20. Everybody else at the table checks their perception, rolls a d20. Everybody compares who won, takes 10 minutes while everyone figures out math for one thing, and then the rogue (laughs) continues taking their turn. So they figure out, like, we're just going to take mathematical average, and we're done. And, I mean, it's effectively the same thing as passive perception in 5th edition. So it's, uh, I am hiding, therefore I will roll. Or... I am taking the, the search action to look around. Therefore, I shall roll perception. Nobody else needs to roll. It's just me doing the thing, so I roll.
0: So I feel like we have a pretty good idea of what hiding looks like both in D&D 5e and Pathfinder 2. We've talked a little bit about how this gets used in combat. Uh, I think it's time to throw something new into the mix. Let's talk about invisibility. Ooh, yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, invisibility in 5th edition is very intentionally... Very, very powerful. Like the most important thing it does is it makes line of sight to you impossible. Anything that says a creature you can see is just outright impossible against an invisible creature. And considering that's most spells, like most special abilities, all those things, invisibility is really, really good. And on top of that, since creatures can't see you, you get advantage on your attack rolls.
1: And creatures also get disadvantage to attack you, even if they know where you are, which can be incredibly uh, annoying on either side that you're on. Um, But one thing that, uh, that people don't realize about invisibility that I recently found out is when you go invisible, you're not automatically hidden. Because if you go invisible, the creature still knows you're there but uh, you need to still take the hide action in order to you know, get rid of their line of sight because invisibility just blocks line of sight. It doesn't block auditory healing, he- hearing, and that's the key. People can still hear you if you're not hiding. Okay, I want
0: to I talk about this for a second. Uh, I recognize this is probably just one of those suspend your disbelief and let's go on. But what we talked about earlier is if I'm hiding... Then you may know that I'm in that cell, but you don't know where I am in that cell. If I'm invisible and you're invisible in that five foot block, I know you're in there because you just went invisible and it's not your turn to move. And that's the rules we've agreed to when we started this combat. <laughs> but I might not know where you are in that cell and yet you are not hidden yeah. until you declare to the DM. I am taking the hide action.
2: That's correct. Thank you
0: for, yeah, just thanks for coming on that journey with me. That's all. Yeah,
2: it it is a little bit surprising, but this is explicitly written into the rules. In the hiding so- sidebar, it says an invisible creature can always try to hide, and that tells us two things. One, an invisible creature can always try to hide, and two, an invisible creature is not hidden by default.
1: Yeah. So in your example of uh, I wouldn't know where you are if you were behind the gravestone uh, because you're hidden. But with invis- if, you're, if you just go invisible in front of me in the cell, you're not hidden yet. I know where you are. I know where you are in that cell. I, I may still have disadvantage to hit you because I can't see you, but I still know where you are and can make the attack. And then I have to get away sneaky. I mean, that, that's the
0: whole idea, right? Is yeah. I still make noise. Um, You know, in in 3X, we had different senses for whether it was noise or whether it was seeing with your eyeballs. In this case, they're combined, and I have to make a skill check to move away silently so that you don't hear me move.
2: Exactly. Invisibility does not magically turn your full-plate armor paladin into a master of stealth.
0: Yes. Imagine if, like, a bag of, uh,
1: like, you know, Canned food just started running, you know, by
2: you. And it's like, oh, what
0: was that? Where did that go?
1: Yeah, because I mean, the thing that I had been run into before we came across this stipulation was that people would use invisibility as a free disengage. Um, like you, you, they would go invisible with a person they were in melee with, and then just walk away. They're like, I just walk away, uh, which doesn't work that way. I, technically, so I think the way it works, I haven't double checked this, but you can't have opportunity attacks against a creature. You can't really that you don't know is there. But you can still take opportunity attacks against a creature that isn't hidden. So if a creature walks away from you, like your example, if the paladin goes invisible and you hear clank, clank, clank moving away from you, I would logic dictates that you can still take a whack at them, even if it's at disadvantage.
2: I believe that is correct. If I remember right, the rules for opportunity attacks don't require you to be able to see the creature. Mm Mm-hmm we should probably double-check on that.
1: We nah, should. it's right. It, it's surely right. Everybody at home, is right. <laughs> at me if I'm wrong. No, please don't at me. Please don't at me. <laughs> yes, we've definitely
2: never been wrong on this podcast
0: before. <laughs> and, and we're not going to do a uh, entire episode just to talk about it
2: at some point. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> All right, So, so let's talk about countering invisibility because inevitably, as a player, you're going to be fighting something that's invisible And you might not be ready for that. Sometimes you just didn't bring the right spell. Sometimes the DM decides to throw an Invisible Stalker at you at level one. Stuff happens. Yeah, you got to be prepared for this, basically. So the most important thing to know about countering invisibility, like like we said... If you're invisible, you're not automatically hidden. The description of the invisible condition says the creature's location can be detected by any noise it makes or any tracks it leaves. So any sort of visual or audio indication, you know where the creature is. So you still can't see it. So you still have disadvantage to hit it and all those things. But you can pinpoint where the creature is or at least which square they're in so like if you're on sand if you're on snow they're definitely going to leave footprints if you throw something on the ground that's going to cause them to leave footprints you're golden you still can't target them with a lot of spells but like you know what space they're in so you can drop a fireball on them or something it's really all you need (laughs) definitely
0: yeah unless it's an enclosed space let's not talk about that right now
2: in addition to throwing stuff on the floor, uh, this is kind of a classic fantasy D and D, not just D and D, like any fantasy genre where there are invisible creatures. At some point, someone thinks there's an invisible creature in the room. I'm going to throw something on them or around the room in order to try to reveal their location. Uh, Randall, I believe you did this in our weekly game once recently with pepper.
0: Uh, yes, absolutely, it was. Uh, there were these invisible dwarfs running around. And we thought the guy was drunk and just making jokes. So then we started making jokes, and the jokes was we were throwing pepper on people. And then we actually found an invisible dwarf. He See, That's
1: brilliant. I love that. Like, uh, follow
2: the sneeze. Just follow the sneeze. <laughs> I love that. All right. So, so I'm going to ask you guys for opinions. So the invisibility spell says anything the target is wearing or carrying is invisible as long as it is on the target's person. So let's say my character, Bob the fighter is standing next to an invisible wizard and Bob the fighter pulls out an ink flask, pops the cork and splashes ink on the wizard in order to, you know, ideally see like, ah, yes, there's ink suspended in midair upon this invisible wizard. What happens to the ink? That is a question
1: that has caused uh, a lot of um, debate in my mind and in my party. Uh, uh, That if you throw something on an invisible creature, like let's say flower or ink, are you considered to be carrying it? And does it then go invisible? The way that I think is fair and makes sense in my head, and you guys can disagree with me, is that the wearing stuff, that the stuff that you are wearing that goes invisible, only happens when you cast the spell. So the stuff that you're wearing, it takes a snapshot of that, and all of that goes invisible. Anything that is added to your person is floating in space. So if someone's like, go invisible, now carry this rock. The rock is just going to be floating in space. Uh, That is my personal opinion, but you guys can feel free to disagree. Well,
0: okay, that might be a reasonable, like, home fix. But you have to agree, rules is written, if I start carrying the rock, the rock has to become invisible.
1: I mean, that's the thing, though, is that it's not, uh, people do say rules is written, but it's not, this is the problem a lot with 5e, is that there are a lot of gray areas that aren't specifically called out. Unless you talk, unless you catch Mike Merles on Twitter or something, (laughs) and then he'll be like, yeah, no, that's not the way, or more likely Jeremy Crawford, because Jeremy Crawford is very much about like, Okay, I need to clear this up because people have a lot of questions about it. So I, I think that's a reasonable fix, and I, w- I wouldn't actually object to it.
0: Like if you were my DM and you said this is what we're doing, I would say great, let's party. That's that's not the thing I'm gonna argue over. I'm gonna I'm gonna weasel a little bit. Mm. Ink is interesting because ink is probably going to get sucked into the cloth, but let's say it was so saturated that it begins to drip off. Like let's say I poured a whole bucket of water on you, um, and it was blue water for some reason it was ink. No, it was ink. Let's stick with ink. Okay. If I pour a whole <laughs> bucket of ink on you, whatever gets absorbed into the clothes, I would say probably has to become invisible. But if it's to the point where it's dripping off, I think I'd be able to see the
2: drips. I think that's reasonable. That is reasonable. Okay, so let's look at the text of the spell and have do some thought exercises. So, anything the target is wearing or carrying is invisible as long as it is on the target's person that applies for the full duration of the spell. So the way I read it is anything that the target is wearing for the duration of the spell is invisible. So like if they put on a shirt, they're now wearing that it is still for the duration of the spell, therefore become invisible. But that's not to say that my interpretation is totally right. Right. Ash, you may be absolutely right there, I mean maybe totally wrong. I couldn't find an answer from Crawford, so I don't know, yeah, but I one hundred percent agree all of the ink dripping off of the creature definitely becomes visible, like in either of our interpretations, it is no longer on the character's person, so it becomes it becomes invisible again. Just like if if you threw an object, like if I set something down on a table and walked away, it doesn't magically get to stay invisible just because I was carrying it when I turned invisible.
1: Yeah, so th- I mean, I I agree with that. And I can see why people um, view it that way. Just like I said, for my own benefit, that's the sort of ju- justification that I had to make for myself so that we could avoid all of the... Uh, uh, rule, rule, rules lawyering that would happen. Like, <laughs> technically, yeah, you know, stuff like that. But uh, in your, in your way of doing it, I am curious, how would you guys rule flower? Like, if someone were to throw flower on you, do you think that would reveal them, or is it the flower coming off of it that reveals them?
2: I think it's a combination of things. So I would say the flower that sticks to their body becomes invisible. All of the flower floating in the air around them doesn't mm. so you have this conspicuously person-shaped hole in the middle of a cloud of flour. i see yeah that's that's an interesting way of relate it
0: that's actually really powerful in general even go back to the ink thing let's say i threw it horizontally so like you know i hurled the ink at them and let's say i had a party member standing at 90 degrees so kind of watching the ink go from left to right or better yet somebody behind them watching what they're going to see is a whole bucket of ink coming at them and they're going to think you're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and then a person sized silhouette of the ink coming at them is going to get cut out. Ah, that's clever. And, and the flower is honestly better because the flower basically just floats, right? Like you almost just want to have like handfuls of flower <laughs> everywhere. And then you're, you're looking for like a trajectory getting cut through the flower as the ghastly or the
1: ghostly apparition is approaching you. So, in addition to a five foot pole, and a barrel that a person has to bring with them. They need to bring flour. <laughs> yes. Just, it's
2: yeah. Basically a bakery. Can the
1: alchemist jug make flour?
2: No, only know. liquids. Okay. Uh, you can, can still use that, though. Like, yeah, you, yeah, use you can use mayonnaise. Yeah. It's a great use of mayonnaise. It produces so much mayonnaise. It's like multiple gallons a day. What are you going to do with all that mayonnaise? Detect invisibility, apparently. (laughs) Drog was on to
1: something. He he
2: was wiser than all of
1: us. (laughs) Why does everybody in your party carry an alchemist jug? Yeah, perfect.
2: Invisible wizards. That's why. (laughs) What if we need mayo? Good. Okay. Now fortunately we don't always have to resort to these options. There are some low-level spells that should be widely accessible to most parties. Fairy fire, see invisibility, you're done. If you can figure out roughly where they are, drop fairy fire on them. Problem solved. Yeah. See invisibility, someone in the party says they're in that square. We have narrowed it down to this square. Everyone drop fireballs in it. Very simple. Alternatively, if you don't have any of those, just Give up. Cast Fog Cloud. No one gets to see anyone. That is it. Everyone is fighting with a disadvantage from now on. I hope you're happy, DM, for bringing this invisible monster into this encounter. Look that's what you a, have
1: done. That's a D&D equivalent of I'm taking my ball and going home. <laughs> it sure is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then the fighter with, with uh, blind fighting comes out and is like, oh boy, I made a choice. <laughs>
0: That that's that's actually it's a wonderful party, right? Like everybody in the party is blind, yeah. But they just cast darkness wherever they go.
2: (laughs) Yep.
1: (laughs) Townspeople love them. Speaking of darkness, should we talk about magical darkness? Ah, do we have to?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think we do. All right. So magical darkness, very very simple. Uh, You can't see through it unless you have something that lets you see through magical darkness, or if you have a special sense like blindsight. So. That really is the, like, take your ball and go home on vision option. So, like, if you have a spellcaster who can cast darkness, just like, okay, something's something's in the room invisibly. We can't do anything about it. Magical darkness.
1: Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've discovered that's very annoying about darkness, and I didn't realize this until my players started to abuse it, is darkness, unlike Fog Cloud, Once you put, it's not when you cast it, it's in that area, and it just stays in that area. You cast it like you would light onto an object. So if you were to cast it onto, like, say, your belt or a sword or something, and you walk around, you're suddenly now, the darkness is following you. Now, let's say you want to combine that with a really easy warlock invocation to get called Devil's Sight. Suddenly, you're just a a really broken character that's going to ruin my day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, but I want to poke
0: at this. Yeah. How high of an intelligence would you have a creature, like what would the required intelligence check be to recognize that at the center of the darkness,
1: probably the thing making the darkness? Oh, it's funny that you should mention that because my players found a way around this too. They, uh, they uh, attach the darkness to the edge of a stick and they would wave the stick around so that you couldn't exactly pinpoint the center of the mass that's wonderful <laughs> was, was that the
0: object interaction each time it's like okay yeah. uh, we want to bring a sidekick in there's sidekicks inside you, right i'm not crazy yeah. okay yes. good we want to bring a sidekick in what the sidekick is is basically a flag bearer, except for instead of a flag
2: magical darkness <laughs> just cast it on a rock hand it to your wizard's bat familiar Bats have blind sight. They just fly around in a circle. They'll never even notice the difference. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was both very irritated and kind of proud
1: of my players when they figured this out. I was yeah. like, I hate you guys so much, but this is brilliant,
2: and yeah. I have to applaud you. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. next Wonderful. adventure, it's all devils.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All people with true sight. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful
0: gaming. I need a uh, three-hour break. I'll see you guys in a little bit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. So speaking of bats, hey, how about Blindsight? Blindsight's cool. That is one way you can counter Magical Darkness as well. (laughs) Sure is. So Blindsight has some interactions with stealth that might not be super obvious. Did you know that stealth works against Blindsight? Because it totally does. That makes sense. Did you know? Yeah, that does make sense because stealth is
1: muffling your movement and noise. And since blindsight requires requires
2: sound... Some of it. Some of it, yeah. Yeah. There are multiple forms of blindsight. So there's regular, just bog-standard blindsight. And then there's blindsight with echolocation. So that's like bats, dolphins, things like that. Uh, most things with blindsight just have regular blindsight, which is... Think of it like radar, basically, I guess. But stealth still works against that.
0: Radar is actually a lot like echolocation.
2: You know, uh, I'm going to say that you scientifically would know that, and I'm just going to trust you on that because
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, like I, I, I send a wave out there and the wave comes back and I use that to estimate distance, potentially velocity. Yeah, it's great.
2: Yeah, that, that is basically echolocation. Okay, what's something that's like radar but not waves? Um, I mean, everything's waves matters waves
1: thanks Einstein. he was a bro <laughs> so probably wavelength anybody no okay all right keep going <laughs> i have a question for you then randall so you clearly know a lot about this so when you're doing echolocation it's a, a, my understanding is you're sending sound waves out and they bounce off of physical surfaces and back to you is that right
0: yeah and and let's so if we're going to talk about what human beings do let's talk about like an ultrasonic sensor is a great example um, and what you said is exactly right. In in RF, you might call it chirping, but I'm basically going to send a particular signal out, and I really know the shape of that. And it's likely designed in such a way that I I'm not going to see that in the real world. I'm only going to see it because I emitted it and it came back
1: at me. I gotcha. So how do you stealth against that? Because even if you're being noiseless, I guess if you're behind cover, maybe yeah, yeah that's exactly. Fine. If you were, uh, if you were, okay. Let's be silly and we're talking about sound <laughs> for a second.
0: If I was using like sound dampening armor, yeah, um, literally, my armor would absorb the sound if it were an appropriate frequency, and then I wouldn't emit it back.
1: Oh, that's clever. Oh, that's really clever. So that's because that's something that I've struggled with with blindsight is like, how do you make blindsight not just true sight? Because like I can see through magical darkness and invisibility, <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's countered by really dumb things like cover or uh, padding. The, the yeah padding. That's the, the it, really...
0: you might make an argument that like it doesn't. So blindsight is able to see anybody wearing full plate. But anybody wearing uh, chainmail with, like, leather underneath it or just leather, maybe you make an argument that that was absorbent enough that maybe the the echolocation version of Blindside didn't come back at them. But, of course, then we have, like, the weird – I mean, honestly, like, it's not magical. But it is fantasy blind sight of just like yeah, I don't have eyeballs, but I see all.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like uh, like all of those kung fu guys who are blind but can see perfectly clearly, aka Toph from Avatar.
2: Yeah,
1: um, uh, she has tremor sense, which we'll get to. Yes. So if we're talking about different types of blind sight, then
2: we also have to talk about smell, right? Yes, I don't think scent quite qualifies as blind sight because, like, blind sight allows you to functionally see without seeing so like I can I can use blind sight and say like Randall is standing right there holding up three fingers with scent I can say Randall's vaguely that way
1: yeah I mean there are some but the reason I bring it up is there are some creatures at least from my understanding that they have they're blind they're functionally blind but they can see you through your smell through your scent like certain snakes work this way Um, or maybe not snakes, like the, I forget. Oh, moles, moles. Okay. Are we talking 5e or are we talking
0: real life? Real life. (laughs) Real life. Okay, good. Yeah. That's interesting. So the, the, you can know something's there, but it would be really hard to build a sensor that could detect someone. Because what I'll say is like, let's say even you feel that the wind is coming in your direction right now. And so you use that to estimate that likely this thing is in front of me, versus if you felt the wind coming from the right, you would know maybe this creature's off to the right. Except, the wind isn't constant in a line of sight. And so who knows what direction those particular scent particles had to take to get to you.
1: Yeah, so maybe interpreting the scent is the, is the issue. But I think there is a way that, even if you had like a creature that could detect you through smell, like knew where you were, a way yeah. that you could mess with that is how they messed with an avatar again is throwing a bunch of scents at it and confusing its sense of smell so no
2: that makes sense yeah just garlic bombs (laughs) yeah (laughs) just garlic suddenly becomes part of the stealth meta yeah Yeah. it's like wait why are you carrying a dorian fruit
1: Uh, so, we've added durian fruit to the list of things we need to carry with us when we're dungeon diving. Yeah, we can, and durian.
0: Stick it in the end of the alchemist jug and use it instead of the badger cannon. It's now like a <laughs>
2: mayonnaise powered durian gun.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh,
2: God. Uh, a, uh, uh, we're
0: we're gonna get a human rights call at some point.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, you just created you just created a war crime, my friend. <laughs> it's weapon of mass
2: destruction. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> so, so I'm gonna peek forward at Pathfinder Second Edition again. PF2 has the concept of vague, imprecise, and precise senses. So vague sense is like I can tell something is there but not where. Imprecise is I can tell roughly where it is, so usually like this square but not where in that square. And then precise is like vision, like I can see specific details, there it is. So scent is a typically a vague sense. So creatures with a, with a scent ability can typically say like there is... A zombie somewhere within my 30 foot scent range, but I can't tell you where I I smell it, but I'm good luck finding it Um, an imprecise sense, uh, like tremor sense. um, Some creatures with really good scent has it have it as an imprecise sense and then you can figure out like which square is this creature in. So it's uh much like an invisible creature who hasn't bothered hiding themselves in 5th edition or a creature who is very obviously hidden behind the only tombstone in a 50-foot radius. You know which square it's in, but you don't know like position, orientation, any of those things. And then precise senses are essentially sight equivalent. So often blindsight some other things, like some creatures have very specific unique things But we can apply that concept in 5th edition. So blindsight is typically precise. Tremor sense is usually imprecise. uh, Scent is usually vague. So just having those like three terms to describe how those senses work can do a lot to tell you about how those senses perceive creatures. So the big
1: one also that I think is confusing a lot, at least for me, uh, is tremor sense. So I think... With tremor sense do we think that anybody who is touching the ground they're able to see or do you specifically have to make noise on the ground for it to see you
2: That's a good question so the description of tremor sense in the monster manual says a monster with tremor sense can detect and pinpoint the origin of vibrations within a specific radius so you can tell where the vibrations came from which i would argue basically a square Um, But you couldn't tell like, oh, someone is in this square, but they're crouching down or they're like waving their arms up in the air. You can just tell like they're in that square making some vibrations. And then if someone is going to use stealth, they're presumably walking very softly, trying to be quiet, which is smaller vibrations, less easy to detect. So my next question is, do we want to do
1: a thing similar to Toph, where you make your own vibrations and it's a form of tremor sense with echolocation?
2: That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure how I would interpret that within the rules. Like, we've definitely seen examples of that in media. Um, Yeah, Toph is a great example of tremor sense. Uh, Daredevil is a great example of uh, blindsight and echolocation. Yeah, I don't know how I would um, interpret that maybe somebody like whacks the ground with a hammer really hard to like blind you with tremor sense i personally i wouldn't mess with it too much the rules in the rules in 5e really don't support getting that crunchy so in my opinion i would just say like look folks people at the table with me please stop just please stop <laughs> You're ruining my game. Like, look, I just wanted to use one ankig in one encounter. I don't want to spend an hour figuring out how Tremor Sense would work in a real scientific scenario. Yeah. Right, right as you, the player, asked me that question,
0: uh, the creature you were getting ready to fight instead leaps off a cliff and the plot <laughs> moves on.
2: <laughs> oh, hey, there's a new thing in the meta annoying the DM until the encounters go away. The, there you go. That <laughs> helps to me so much.
1: Because the reason I ask these questions is because I have been asked these questions by my players, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's because I'm I'm in a group with a bunch of uh, science teachers, essentially. Like there's there's one science teacher and one guy who's like just really into science, and so they're always asking me these scientific questions. Like I don't know, man. I'm just a writer. (laughs) I'm just a game designer. I don't know how science works. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I didn't expect to have to, you know, fulfill a consulting contract so that I could execute this game.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Great. Uh, <laughs> oof. Oof <laughs> yeah. indeed. So let's talk about Pathfinder 2nd Edition a little bit because we've, we've beaten on 5th Edition quite a bit and we keep saying, hey, pf 2s is real great. Let's take a look at that. So we already talked about the conditions in PF2. So we have that kind of like steps, essentially observed, hidden, which is I know what square you're in, but not where you are in the square concealed, which is uh, actually, I don't think we talked about concealed. So concealed is like you're not hiding, but there's something making it hard to see you. It's usually fog or something like that. And PF2 doesn't have advantage as advantage. Instead, there's a 20% mischance to attack a concealed creature, 50% to attack them if you're shooting blind into a square. So if they're hidden, undetected, it's invisible, etc., 50% mischance, which is not mathematically the same as disadvantage, but conceptually similar. So, concealed is very useful if you are concealed, you can hide, so like just in fifth ed- and just like in fifth edition, you may say i'm in thick fog, people are having trouble seeing me. I think I can hide now, and then you argue with your dm for ten minutes <laughs> uh, there's undetected, which is creatures don 't know where you are, so if they somehow manage to attack you, then they still have that fifty percent mischance, and crucially. With these mischances in Pathfinder Second Edition, it also applies to other things that target you. So, um, spells that target you directly that might require a save. So, like someone attempts to cast Hold Monster on you, uh, they can still target you. I th- I think um, depending on the wording of the spell, but you have a fifty percent chance for that effect to simply fail because you're not where the thing was targeted. So. The mechanics are just a little bit different. Uh, Make sure you read the text of your spells before you start casting blind. Yeah, that's a big difference from 5e
1: because when you're hidden, uh, a lot of uh, spells require sight, so you just can't target that person if you don't know where they are. But this makes it so that, you know, mages aren't as uh, royally, you know, screwed over. If they can't see you, they still have a chance, which... I I, kind of like, I do. I dig that. That's cool.
2: Yeah. We should also look at how perception works because it is very different in PF2 from fifth edition. So fifth edition perception is a skill. If you want to be good at it, you have to take proficiency in it and someone in your party better be good at perception or you're going to die. In PF2, everyone automatically progresses in perception. Like it works just like a skill, but it is not a skill. Uh, because the designers of PF2 looked at it and said, look, this is very clearly the best skill that we are going to put into this game, just like it is in 5th edition. So we're just going to give it to everybody instead of making it a tax on people's resources. Now, different classes will get like different uh, proficiencies, so they'll advance at different rates, but everybody adds their level plus something plus wisdom. So even if you've not thought about perception once in your character's entire career you're still not total garbage at looking around a room in addition to that when you're looking around for creatures in combat you take the seek action now you guys remember the three action economy yes yes seek is one action fifth edition you search for creatures, it is your action that is basically the meat of your turn. You're probably not going to do anything else exciting. In PF2, you could cast a two-action spell, you can make two strikes, and still have an action to seek. You could seek repeatedly if you want. But, you also have to pick where you're seeking, unlike 5th edition. 5th edition, it's like, Everything that I survey is my domain. In PF2, you have to pick either a 30-foot cone or a 15-foot burst in a place that you can see, and you essentially scrutinize that area and say, I am looking for things in this general area. Geometry tip, pick the 15-foot burst. It's way bigger. Hmm. And then you make a perception check against the stealth DC of any creature that's hidden there. So if a creature went over there, hid rolled a absolutely garbage roll you still have to roll against like 10 plus their modifier which might be higher than whatever they rolled to successfully hide it's not always going to work out you still want someone in your party to have both good perception proficiency progression and good wisdom to back that up seeking in combat is also just way less costly than it is in fifth edition so it's much more achievable it's much more usable Yeah, even the
0: idea that you can actually seek multiple times in a row, if it's that important to find that creature that's now hiding, yeah, being able to say, okay, look, I failed once, I failed twice, I tried the third time, hey, party, you don't have to waste your actions, they're right over there.
1: Yeah, and the way that it's, like, strategic, like, I've always liked systems that uh, allow you to be more strategic in exchange for doing it more frequently. And that's the big issue with seeking in 5e, is that there's no way to sort of... You know, can I seek in a specific area and still do something on my turn? No, that you just have to roll perception. It's more powerful in 5e, but I would trade power for strategy any day of the week.
2: Yeah, I think I would too. RPG Bot is happy to welcome our new sponsor, Ezoic. Ezoic enables digital publishers to earn more money at every level and provides added features as customers grow. The company uses AI technology to optimize sites for the best possible returns in terms of ad revenue and UI. Whether you're just starting out or a seasoned publisher with over 10 million monthly visits, Ezoic has customers of every size and skill level. Ezoic also provides industry-first perks based on publisher growth and performance, including expert support, SEO audits, access to free webinars and new products, and tons of exciting giveaways and events throughout the year. Sign up for free today and see why Ezoic has the largest community of high-earning digital publishers. To try Ezoic for yourself, visit RPGBot.net slash EZReferral. That's RPGBot.net slash E-Z-R-E-F-E-R-R-A-L.
0: All right, we did it. I think we, yeah, yeah, we did it. All right, question of the week this week. Our question of the week this week comes from at Banana. Games like D&D have fundamental rules such as advantage-disadvantage, cannot stack, are what they are, uh, and they frequently deliberately break them with stuff like Elven Accuracy. What makes such a breaking of the rules good or bad design or gameplay? Uh, and, and for folks at home, Elven Accuracy—it's basically triple advantage. You get to roll three dice instead of two, two dice, and then take the highest. So in a game where you know, you know advantage never stacks, you never get three, you never get four. Disadvantage never stacks. At most, one of each will cancel each other out.
2: Why is making Elven Accuracy the triple advantage? A good game design. Tell you what, so I'm going to guess at this one first, and then, Ash, you actually know something about game design, so I'm going to hope that you come along and tell me why I'm wrong. Sure. (laughs) Having the core rules that work a way gives everyone a shared baseline understanding of how things work. So, like, if we imagine a dead simple game where your objective is to walk down a hallway and everyone follows the rule that you must walk along the right side of the hallway To get to the end of the hallway like let's imagine that's our dead simple game and then one player has something that says you have this unique thing that lets you do something that makes you special and your special thing is you get to walk on the left side of the hallway now everyone still understands the rule is you walk on the right side of the hallway unless you have that special exception and those exceptions give room for characters to feel special, for monsters to do unique things, for spells to uh, not necessarily break the rules because they exist within the rules, but to, you know, do something that normally wouldn't be possible.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's correct. Um, so just to clarify, we're talking about why it's good game design, right? Well, yeah. the question is, is it good or bad? And I think, well, you know two for three
0: have asserted it's good.
1: (laughs) I'm a I'm biased against elven accuracy in particular because it's been used again to great effect against me. Um, (laughs) uh, especially if you pair it with a guy who's a samurai who can just give himself advantage, whatever (laughs) he wants. Um, so, uh, One, I think it is good game design in the fact that like Tyler said, it lets the person feel special, especially with because we did away with all the floating modifiers of Pathfinder and we decided we were just going to do advantage. If you want to communicate, hey, this elf is, elves are better at certain things than other people. That's kind of the fantasy of elves. They're humans plus. Um, And uh, so you can't just give them advantage all the time because that would be broken. Um, And people would hate elves and ban them. (laughs) Um, So, and you can't just, so you want to get across the idea that when they do a thing that they're good at, they're really good at that thing. So in this case, this is an acceptable break of mechanics to say in this case, advantage stacks but I hate it. <laughs> um, I, I think it's bad. Um, and I think that this is where Pathfinder is just like, I realize that floating modifiers are a pain in the ass to track, but I think that that is a, it was, it, it's designed better in that sort of thing. Like you just get a plus two to ranged attacks or something like that. Or when you have advantage, you have like a plus two or something. I'm not saying it's a perfect solution, but I think triple advantage just, Because advantage is so easy to get in 5e, it's almost like you always have advantage. And when you always have advantage, it's also triple advantage. I like what they were going for, but I think that there was a better way of approaching it than breaking an established rule because it's now a required feat if you're going to be an elf. And I don't like mechanics that aren't, That are supposed to be options, but are presented as, they're so good that they basically become mandatory.
0: So I want to take what you have both said, and I want to couch it a little bit. I feel like what makes doing something like this worth it is either if there's a high opportunity cost to come with it, or... If there's a consumable and that consumable is a key mechanic.
1: I agree with that. I think that's a great idea. I like the consumable or there's a drawback because right now it's just a flat bonus and it's, it's just too powerful. I feel and <laughs> like it makes what, what it if, too good.
0: What, what if the only thing you did to modify it was say, um, proficiency bonus per short rest. We've done that to a lot of other things over, uh, you know, with, with the modifications to classes over, I guess, what, past two or three books. You know, do that one more time here and say, sure, you know, you're level six. You can do that three times for a short rest. You know, pick your positions wisely for when you're actually going to take advantage of it.
1: Yeah, I like that. Um, I, I and I think the reason that they did all the accuracy the way they did is because it's it's the Legolas fantasy, you know, the guy who never <laughs> misses. Uh, but Legolas became kind of a meme, especially towards the third. He was just good at everything, and he was kind of a flat character. I personally like characters who fail at things, um, like that was what makes them interesting to me. And I think that having them being able to burn things like proficiency bonus is a great is a great compromise. I think because it's it scales well. It's not set. And uh, you can set it up like, okay, so I kneel down and I pull pull my bow back and my elven eyes allow me to fixate on the jugular. Um, So I think that's cool. And it adds a lot of complexity and story rather than just like, I'm really good at bow stuff. So I'm just going (laughs) to always hit him right where it hurts. The the wallet? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the wallet. all
0: right
2: i'm Randall <laughs> james you can find me at amateurjack.com and on twitter and instagram at jack Amateur. i'm tyler campster you'll find me at rpgbot.net facebook twitter and instagram at rpg net and patreon.com slash rpgbot
1: i'm ash eli and you can find me on twitter at graven ashes
0: i like that i like that a lot if you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at RPGBot.net or message us on Twitter at RPGBot.net. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad-free access to the rpgbot.podcast, rpgbot.news, early access to rpgbot.content, polls for future content, and access to the rpgbot.discord. You can find us at patreon.com slash rpgbot. When you were talking about, it's like, you know, I like characters that fail. Immediately, we popped in my head as a Mitch Hedberg joke. It's like, you know, and last night, all of those characters were at my table.